This morning now, we begin this series on discussions with skeptics. There's so much of the story of Jesus that's about his dialogue with people who just can't get there. They just don't believe he's the one. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll discover that this is true, that as individuals in small groups and as gangs, they come to Jesus with serious questions and argumentation about who he is and who he claims to be. And ultimately, he dies on the cross, not so much for anything he did, as much as for who he claimed to be. And so today we're going to Mark chapter 2. And we'll stay in the Gospels for these discussions with skeptics. Had a lot of material to choose from, okay? And I thought Mark chapter 2, which is a story recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is an important, high-profile account of a healing in Capernaum that communicates something of the problem people had with trusting in Jesus as the one. Now, skepticism has a long and important history, and everybody needs some skepticism in their life. If you don't have a little bit of skepticism, you'll just believe anything anybody says. And that would make you gullible, right? And so people would take advantage of you. So you got to have some skepticism. Skepticism is basically questioning what people purport to be factual. And looking at it with your own eyes and filter and understanding. The skeptics were in every group that Jesus addressed. They'd show up at the meetings. They'd show up on the hillside, they'd come to the synagogue, they were there. So if you are leaning toward or leaning away from Jesus, I just want you to know you're welcome in this room. All right? We're glad to have you. And it's a safe place for you to come and investigate who Jesus is and the claims that he makes. We're going to look at one of those very important claims today. So we're glad you're here if you're still not there with Jesus. And we want you to experience the Word. We are very Word-centered here at First Baptist. And just listen, receive, and uh, see how God leads you and how your spirit moves as you read and see this text. So we're in Mark chapter 2 with discussions with skeptics. Verse 1 of Mark 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, 
Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus has a meeting in Capernaum. He's done many mighty signs here already. Many have been healed. Mark tells us in chapter 1, the word about Jesus is spread throughout Galilee. And Luke tells us when he tells this account here that the teachers who are present in the house this day come from every village in Galilee and as far away as Jerusalem. So, maybe there are two full pews of them. They don't have pews. I guess they're sitting on the floor. And when they came by their garb, and maybe they were known personally to people in the crowd, the crowd just opened up and let these teachers come right to the very front. Other people couldn't get in the house, but the teachers got in there. From day one, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, are skeptical about Jesus. From day one, they really don't believe he is who he claims to be. And Jesus knows that this is true. So the good, good father orchestrates this event. This is how I see this, okay? I see God mightily at work in this moment. The good, good father brings this event together so that he might communicate to them his truth. And Jesus wants to communicate truth to these skeptics who are there in the house listening to him. Even though he knows maybe many of them or all of them will never believe. In fact, the teachers of the law are so set against Jesus and the notion that he is the promised one that they will kill him before they receive him. And in fact, that is what they did. It was the religious authorities who orchestrated the execution of Jesus through the Romans. Well, they dig a hole in the roof and they let the man down. These four men who are up on that roof believe that their friend has a medical emergency like many who are bringing the sick and the disease to Jesus. They bring a friend who is paralyzed. And they want him healed. This is the urgency of his situation. They believe it is vital that Jesus heal him. And as we read the story, the men are digging through the roof. They are letting down this man. We all expect that Jesus will heal him. So it is a great surprise, I think, to the people in the roof, the people on the front row, and to we who read the story today. 
when Jesus just looks at this paralyzed man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. He takes it to a whole new level. He jumps to another place. We anticipate that he's going to heal the man. And very often, he gives healing, and then he'll instruct the person who's been healed. And he'll talk to them about, now, you go do the right thing. You go show yourself to the priest. Or, don't tell anybody about this. Or, believe in me, or something worse is going to come upon you. He gives instruction to them after they've been healed, but not here. Not here. This time, Jesus jumps to a whole new place. Some place we wouldn't expect him to go. A surprise to everybody. Son, your sins are forgiven. While we all anticipate that his paralysis is the key problem that this man has, Jesus sees a deeper need in his life. He sees a more urgent and threatening condition in his life than that paralysis. And he addresses that situation that he sees in this man. He needs forgiveness. He needs to be forgiven worse than he needs to walk. Amen. This uh, last two weeks, I've had three people tell me that they went in to see the doctor and have tests run about conditions that were not life-threatening. And while they were there, the test revealed a much bigger and more urgent problem. With one of them, it was an aortic aneurysm that could have taken his life at any moment. Jason, are you here? Oh, there he is. He's in the room. With another one, it was going in for pink eye. And was that Julie? I don't know who that was, and, and they found something else. There was, with, with, uh, with Judy, it was some mild condition, and they discovered a brain tumor. Sometimes you go to the doctor, and he discovers something that is much more urgent than what you think you need. And I would expect that if each one of us would identify the most urgent need of our life today, if we would say, boy, this is, this is what I really need. This is at the top of my list. This is what is really an emergency for me. We might be surprised how Jesus would assess our situation. In fact, I think we would. It would not surprise me at all for Jesus with any one of us to jump to a completely different place when he assessed our need just as he does here. It's interesting, isn't it? We have the care effect. And someone called me, a pastor called me from Hawaii this week. And he said, I want to know how you keep the gospel in care effect. Because care effect is our ministry of compassion to people in all kinds of situations all over our city in about a dozen different ways. And I said... Well, it's woven into everything we do. 
In fact, seven of our care effect venues are simply teaching the gospel to people in prison, to people in nursing homes, to those who are at the mission. We are communicating the gospel. And I mentioned this to somebody this morning, and Elaine said to me, how do you keep the gospel out of care effect? I mean, that's the, that's the question. How could you ever keep it out of the compassion ministry? And, and what Jesus did here is he saw a physical need, but he knew the spiritual need was greater. So all of you who are part of compassion ministry and you're going to the nursing home or the prison or you're feeding uh, the hungry on Wednesday or some other time or you're part of some volunteer work, you remember this. You remember what Jesus pointed out in this paralyzed man. That there is no physical need that is greater than the spiritual need for forgiveness of sin. That is more fundamental to the human heart than anything. And surely any of us would rather go into heaven paralyzed than go into hell walking. Amen. Amen. So we must remember this in every good thing that we do, in every deed that God calls us to perform every act of love that we somehow make the effort to connect it to the good news of the gospel shown in Jesus Christ. Jesus was mighty in word and deed. And that's who we want to be in our representation of him in our community and in the world. Mighty both in word and in deed. Jesus says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven and he takes it to an entirely different level. He pushes everybody's buttons. He's pushing all the buttons. And he knows it. He knows it. When he says your sins are forgiven, he knows. The guys in the front row are just steaming. If they ever had a smile, they lost it then. And one of the gospel writers has Jesus saying to them, why do you entertain these evil thoughts in your heart? He says this to the teachers of the law arrayed before him. Why do you have these evil thoughts in your heart? Jesus knows he's pushing their buttons. See, the paralyzed man is paralyzed because he is a sinner. He sinned. Do you remember the question the disciples asked in a casual way as they were going along the road one day? They came upon a blind man, and one of them said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, he was born blind, and that was seen immediately as a consequence of sin. This man is blind because of sin, but is it his own, since he was born blind, or was it his parents' sin? What was Jesus' answer? Neither. Neither his sin nor his parents, but that the glory of God might be revealed in him today. And he healed a man. The folks who were on the front row in the house of Capernaum, they all believed the paralyzed man has sinned and therefore this affliction has come upon him. God has brought this judgment on him because of his sin. And we hear that, and for most of us, we think, ah, oh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's, that's not how I understand God. 
When, when we read about the blind man and Jesus saying, neither him nor his parents, that's how we understand sickness. It comes upon us all, regardless of our moral condition or, or whether we have sinned or not, we experience this sickness. But they connect it directly. Sin to his sickness. If you think about it just a little bit, you might actually pick up some traces of this in your own attitudes toward sick people. It's just possible you'll pick it up a little bit. That every once in a while when you hear somebody sick, you think, yeah, yep. I mean, you can't eat eggs and bacon every morning and not have a heart attack. And that's what he was doing. Or you might pick up a little bit of, yeah, you know, I told him he had to start taking vitamins. He just wouldn't take those vitamins. It's interesting what you hear in our culture about vitamins and health food and exercise and things like that. And, and I think there's something about us that assumes if I could just get the right combination of diet and exercise, I'd live forever. I'd never get sick. And so if somebody gets sick, we, we had this suspicion they did something. You know, They had a habit that was going on and... And or they, they were lacking something or practicing something that was debilitated and so they've been sick. And there's a, a little bit, sometimes a little bit of disdain for the sick creeps into us. We don't let it get too big, but it's kind of there. What, what happens though when, when we get sick? I mean, I get the diagnosis myself. Or somebody I love in my family. Like Janet when she had cancer five years ago. My sweet wife of 40 years then. And we say, what? God, what? What are you doing, God? Not us. Not, no, this can't happen to me. We've tried all our life. Just, we've been good. We served you. We prayed every day. We, we, got the, we go to church. God, what in the world is going on? It feels like my universe is collapsing now. This makes no sense at all. We don't deserve this. There's just a little bit of that in us. That, God, I've been good enough where you don't feel like I ought to be reaping the benefits. But these folks over here, yeah, they, they got problems. But, you know, I can see why. I can see why. So the fellows on the front row are saying, no, <laughs> you can't forgive his sin. Look at him. He's paralyzed. God put him in that state because he sinned. You're blaspheming. You can't forgive his sin. Only God can do that. But Jesus knows that the men on the front row have a more urgent need than seeing a miracle that day. The guys on the front row are at great spiritual risk. He tells us this in lots of places. I mean, these are the folks. He said to them one time, the prostitutes and the tax collectors go into heaven before you. You remember that? These are the fellas. 
They are at great risk, and they have an urgent need. And Jesus is going to, in love, address the most urgent need of their heart. They don't need to come and check out his miracles today. They don't need to see a miracle. They need to see Jesus. Which is what you need. If skepticism has come into your life, if I could just see a miracle, uh uh-uh, no. You don't need to see a miracle. You need to see Jesus. And what Jesus does in this instance is he orchestrates events and speaks in such a way that the event is no longer about a miracle. It's about him. See, I want you to know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. This is what I want you to know when you walk out of this house. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Not he can heal paralytics. Not he can heal blind people. Not he can walk on water. Not he can still storms. I want you to know when you leave this house that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin because of all the things that afflict us from storms and floods to disease and death. Of all the things that afflict us, the one we most need cured is a sin that takes root in our heart. And every human being knows it. Every single human being walking on the planet is is living under this sense that they are a sinner. The inadequacy of our efforts, the shortcomings of our moral choices, the way we disappoint ourselves and others. This sin is an affliction that permeates human life. Every human being is touched by it. And sometimes you'll meet somebody and all they do is blame other people for their problems. It was my parents, it was my wife, it's my employer. All they do is blame other people for their problems. And if you get in their circle of friendship, pretty soon you're going to be at fault and they'll be blaming you. You know what's wrong with them? Guilt. It's guilt. They have this sense of guilt and shame about what they've done and who they are and the way they're handling it is they blame other people. Other people mistreated them. Other people didn't measure up. Other people set them on this course. Other people made these choices. The forgiveness of sin is the central need of the human heart. And Jesus sets this up, the whole scene, so that these teachers of the law on the front row at least have the chance to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. And so he asks the question, which is easier? To say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, take up your bed and go home? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He says to the paralyzed man, 
get up, take your mat, and go home. And he does it in front of them all. Now, let me ask you, is this man forgiven? If sin put him on his back in a paralyzed state, and now he's standing vertical walking, is he forgiven? In the theology of the men on the front row, yeah. He's been released. How do you get around that, Pharisee? Teacher of the law, how do you get around that? See, what you need, dear, hard-working, religious person, is an understanding that Jesus alone forgives sin. And your good works will not make you righteous before God. You need to understand it doesn't matter how much you tithe and go to church and all the religious duties that you perform. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. You can't balance out your sin by putting all your good works over here and your sins over here. And if you just get more over here than over here, well, what do you know? You got to heaven. No. It's impossible for anybody on the front row that day in that house in Capernaum to go to heaven because they kept the law and they purified themselves and they lived so good. You know what happened to them in this effort to be so spotlessly self-righteous? They brought down the iron curtain between them and God. I mean, it resounded with such a clang and thud And there was no way. That's why the prostitutes and the tax collectors could get to heaven before them. Because they were so confident that they lived a life that was satisfactory to the king of kings. And that God would one day put his stamp of approval on the dad they'd been, the father they'd been, the citizen they'd been. They'd been good, good, good. And God would one day recognize that. And down came the curtain. Jesus said of the folks in the front row, they go into the synagogue to pray. You know how they pray? Stand up and say, oh God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men. Thank you, God, I'm not like other men. Oh God, I give tithes of everything I possess. Oh, I take care of every religious duty. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. In fact, like this fellow over here, this This sinner over here, thank you, God, I'm not like him. And Jesus says, and the sinner goes to the temple to pray, and he won't even lift his eyes up. He knows who he is. He knows his condition. He says, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that poor penitent sinner went home righteous. Well, that bloated Pharisee full of self-importance and self-righteousness went away still lost. I guess there's nothing more difficult to get grace through than a steel curtain of good works in which you trust. And the Pharisees were not only afflicted by this notion that good works were going to get them to heaven, they were going to make themselves satisfactory to God, They were afflicted by the notion that they were the children of Abraham. They were the chosen ones. We're we're Abraham's children. We got a special spot 
in the spectrum of humanity. And because we're Abraham's children, we're getting in. And Jesus said, well, God can make Abraham's children out of these rocks. You think that gives you an in with God? It's the Father in heaven. It's a good, good Father in this moment in Capernaum, in this house, helping people who have been trapped in religious blindness understand that they need grace, grace, grace. And they think this grace has come to them through being children of Abraham, and they don't even realize that the most magnificent grace of God ever manifest on the planet is standing right in front of them. That God would give this grace. I mean, yeah, it was great to send Moses. It was great to have the old covenant. I mean, it was, it was wonderful the prophets came, but oh, now in these last days, God has sent his own son. He sent his own son. And he's introduced to the world by the, by the Baptist, John the Baptist, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the answer for the sin problem that afflicts every human being. Here it is. The Son of Man, Jesus of Nazareth, has authority on earth to forgive sin because he is the designated lamb who dies on behalf of us all and bears in his death the sins of the world. That's why there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved but this name of the sin bearer, Jesus the Savior. I have wonderful news for you today. I know someone who can forgive your sin. The thing that troubles you most. The failure that has dogged your heels. When you close your eyes, that sin that comes up to your mind and heart. The thing that is most rooted in you, most difficult that flaw that goes all the way to the very center of your being, I know somebody who can forgive your sin. And there's only one. And above all things today, I hope, when you leave this place, that you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Do you know what it feels like inside to be forgiven you know how it feels to be completely clean on the inside every every sin every blemish every blot washed away you know what that feels like sometimes we're just crawling through life burdened down with all this baggage that Jesus came and died on the cross to deliver us from. And we won't let him do it. 
His whole work on the planet was to set you free from that sack of sin and shame and guilt that you drag around 24-7. He came to set you free from that. And until you receive it and believe it and live in it, you have not appropriated all that he bought for you at Calvary. Amen. So it's time to let it go and say, Jesus, I didn't know you had that much grace. I didn't know your grace was that deep and wide. I didn't know it was that amazing. But here's all the stuff in me. Thank you, Lord. I confess it. And I give it to you. And I ask for you to wash me clean. You talk about liberation. You talk about freedom. You talk about a new confidence to walk in your world. You talk about a new disposition and a new attitude toward the people around you. To receive this grace is an electrifying transformation of the inner person. No longer can you condemn as quickly as you used to. No longer can you look at people and all you see is their sin. All of a sudden, the grace that's poured out on you has got to go to others. And it's a, it's a life of living in grace and standing in grace and enjoying this grace that God makes manifest through Jesus, the sin bearer. Someone here today needs this more than anything else in your life. It is more fundamental than all the other things you list. The inadequacies, the needs, the things that you wish you had... This you need more than anything else in your life. And it is completely and freely available to you now. Through Jesus Christ, who bore your sin on the cross, paid your penalty, and invites you into his presence to receive him and receive forgiveness of sin. Bow with me, please. Let's just bow in his presence, okay? Wherever we were spiritually before we came in this room, the Holy Spirit is at work to take us to a whole different place. A new place of freedom and joy and forgiveness. A place of grace available only through Christ, the sin bearer. You could pray right where you are. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I confess it to you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. And I receive him as my personal Savior and Lord. Would you pray that prayer today? And in a minute, would you come down this aisle saying, yes, I want Jesus in my life. I need my sin forgiven. He has authority to take your sin away today. Lord, thank you for this amazing grace in which we stand. In the name of Jesus.